Or this is the anointed microphone. Got it. <sighs> oh, good morning. <laughs> oh boy. You know you're a disciple of Duncan Smith when you have only Apple products. Heaven is powered by a Mac, so we're in good shape. Just kidding, I have an Android phone in my pocket. Um, <laughs> we live, we grow. Huh. So Duncan, Duncan asked us in, I think it was, golly, you, you spoke to us in, maybe it was February of 2008. Jake, we're going to be moving, or, yeah, 2008, we're going to be moving to, to January. We're going to be moving to Raleigh to plant a church. Kate and I are going to Australia now for five weeks. When we get back, we'd love to hear from you and Carol, and would you like to come with us? No, that must have been November 2007. That's what I said, November 2007. Um, and we spent the next five weeks in prayer. Um, I am the kite. Carolyn is the string. You need both. But I was just like, what are we doing? Great. Let's go. And... Uh, pretty much been a hallmark of my followership of Duncan. What was that? Yeah, good. Uh, the first words the man ever spoke to me is, your name's Jake, right? And I said, yes, my name's Jake. Where's the, where'd you get that shirt? And uh, I was wearing a shirt my grandfather had given me with a son on it. And Duncan grew up in uh, Africa where uh, idol worship was rampant in the communities that his, he and his family were ministering in. And he looked at that Inuit son, and he was like, oh, that's actually demonic, Jake, and you should consider burning it. <laughs> and so I looked at my shirt, and I wanted to say, you know, I like this shirt. My grandfather gave me this shirt. It's a normal shirt. There's nothing wrong with this shirt. But somewhere inside, I was like, yeah, I think he's right. <laughs> so I went into the bookstore of the church and went to the bargain bin and found one of the Fresh Wind Youth Conference t-shirts from a few years earlier. Went into the maintenance area, got me some turpentine, and burned that shirt. And I've been following Duncan and burning shirts ever since. Um, <laughs> Carolyn and I determined that we were going to hear from the Lord and make our mind up about what we would do before they got back. And we even arranged before they left to have a meeting with them. Or they'll come home, and two days later, we'll go up to their place in Agila, and we'll have a meal together, and we'll give them our answer. And... The night came that we were like, all right, tomorrow's the day. What's our answer? We don't know. Shoot. Lord, um, <clears throat> we were hoping you'd have spoken by now. And meanwhile, our friend Mark, who filmed our wedding from six months earlier, finally that night said, hey, I'm finished your DVD of your wedding, and here you go. You can watch it. And we watched the DVD, and during our wedding, there's a time of prophetic prayer. And, uh, and everyone comes forward. We were legally married in Duncan and Kate's kitchen uh, so that I could go to Texas and have our wedding ceremony without having to lie to the customs officials about why I was going, not the grounds you want to start a marriage on. And so we, so we, we thought we better take care of the paperwork. Well, we're watching the video of our actual ceremony, and the, the prophetic prayer time was really powerful. And my friend Joel, the best man, has this word, and he says, I see geese. Canada geese in chevron formation and they're flying south and you two are at the head of the chevron. <laughs> flying south, which is literally what we did and going first, which is literally what we did. But I'd love to tell you that that was the word that really grabbed us, but it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> listening to it a couple times, I realized, wow, Lord was the Lord was really trying to prepare us for what was coming. And when the, the pastor who married us dismissed the prophetic prayer folks and the words were good and they were powerful and they were anointed and it was good but then he sort of said this thing almost like off the cuff right at the end and lord let them always know how to find the cheapest places to shop <laughs> and everyone realizes that's the cue okay we're done and they start to disperse back to their seats and then he says and lord that when it's time to go they would know it's time to go in our living room, like a thousand pounds falls on me. I'm like, oh, honey, that's it. It's time to go. And I look over at my wife. I'm like, that's the word. And she's like, so 
So he's going to tell us if it's time to go. That'll be nice. No, honey, this is it. It's time. <laughs> so we go up to their house and we inform them, yes, we'd like to come. And, and uh, it was one of those decisions that looking back, the path that that set us on, we, didn't, we had no idea. We had no idea that we would plant a church in Greensboro. We had no idea the ways the Lord was going to grow us up and deepen our relationship with him. We had no idea the people we would meet, the friends we would make. We had no idea about the tough ways we'd be challenged in it. But, you know, you, you say yes to the Lord and you're, and you're put on a trajectory, you're put on a path. And if he showed you on day one every single thing that was going to happen, you'd go running the other way. Not because he's cruel and has bad things for you, but because in our immaturity, we don't believe just how big our calling really is. And uh, so <laughs> what we're doing now, we would not, been, would not have been capable of doing 10 years ago. If we were leading a church on our own 10 years ago, it would have been our church, and every issue would have been our issue, and every, every success would have been our success. Instead, we've had 10 years of learning how to just let Jesus do it. Almost 11, what? Almost 11, yeah, that's right. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I would encourage you, if you're thinking about building the church, the only way for you to do it is to demote Jesus and that's not a wise idea. I have demoted Jesus out of a job he would have liked to have and I had to do it on my own. Not easy. Not easy. When we got to Raleigh, um, we were first. We were here for a few months, and due to changing banks and changing nations and changing currencies and all kinds of reasons why, Carolyn's uh, initial thrust of income was delayed, and I was a foreign alien, not allowed to work. So we actually stayed on Joanne and Ned's floor for three weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, I don't remember, a long time. And we had no income. It was coming, but it wasn't manifesting yet. Uh, we had been told that when God gives you a vision, he gives you the provision, and this was putting that to the test. Where is that provision? At one point, Carolyn and I, having not had a date for a while, Joanne actually gave us some cash, and she was so sweet to us. And we went on a date and had 10 bucks left even. Sunday came along, and Joanne said, oh, there's this couple. You may have heard of them, Ivan and Isabel Allen, and they're coming to this church. You may want to go there. At that time, it was called New Beginnings. New Beginnings was awesome, by the way. We went to that church. We saw something, I saw something there that I've never seen before and I haven't seen since. Ivan and Isabel prophesied over sections of the congregation. All right, you guys, this is your word. And while that was being delivered, instead of these guys sitting back saying, like, okay, but when is it our turn? They got so excited about the words that were being given to them. They were jumping out of their seats to cheer for those people. And it was so beautiful. Time to pass the basket, and here's our last 10 bucks. And Carolyn and I had a dream of Kentucky Fried Chicken, $5 Phillips with that $10. But also, here comes the basket, and I just felt in my spirit, so the 10 bucks. And I asked Carolyn, like, this is really our last $10. What should we do? I feel like we're supposed to give it. And she's like, I guess we better give it then. So we gave our last $10. Has anyone else ever given your last X number of dollars to the Lord before? Like, you're literally like, I don't know when more money's coming, but I'm giving this to you, God. So we do that, and about five minutes later, Isabel takes the mic, and she's like, and the Lord wants you to know that someone here, even maybe you just gave the last $10, and you don't even know how you're going to have lunch today. <laughs> and we're just like, oh my gosh. And, and then she had all kinds of amazing affirmation after that, like, but that's it, because God's got you, and you're going to be fine, and he is your exceedingly great reward. And we had just literally got to give our last 10 bucks. And I'll tell you something, it's happened three more times since where we've been down to nothing in, our, in ourselves and the Lord is saying, great, give me your nothing. You know, Jesus is perfectly comfortable with you coming to him with nothing. He loves it because it helps put his glory on display. <laughs> oh, um, hey, we got to Greensboro with $1, so I mean... We're getting somewhere now. <laughs> I was saved in Toronto at the age of 19. Uh, believe it or not, I'm 39. I'll turn 40 this December. Yep. A third of the way through my 120 years. Looking forward to... 
And uh, yeah, I'll turn 40 this December. And so I've crossed the threshold where I followed Jesus longer than I didn't. Um, I was better at not following him than I have been at following him. So I still have a little catching up to do. But uh, that's where I've come to. I was saved in 1997. I'd never seen anything like it. My friend brought me to the Toronto Revival. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what speaking in tongues was. I certainly didn't know that when someone prayed for you, you might feel something, let alone feel a lot. And I watched people falling over. I saw people lying down. I didn't understand what they were doing. I assumed that they were homeless and had nowhere else to go. And then I saw people who didn't fit the profile of homelessness also falling down and lying down for long stretches of time. And it totally blew my mind. I didn't know then that I would be laying my life down to see other people fall down and have trouble getting up. On the floor again. Just can't wait to fall on the floor again. (laughs) Thank you, darling. In in Toronto, God began pouring out his river, his love, his presence, his mercy, his grace, his power in ways that hadn't been seen in a long time and in fact in ways that he really hadn't done before and certainly not for decades and uh, (laughs) you know we didn't know in those days it was 1997 so it had been going on for a while but we, we weren't entirely sure what God was up to John and Carol had some pretty sort of bland answers for why Toronto why us why now I don't know God is God and so he's just doing it but we're happy and so we're going for it I don't mean bland to be sort of, I don't, I don't, it's not a negative thing. It's just, it was hard to understand. There was nothing about the church in Toronto. While they were in prayer for thousands of, of years, just in a secret dungeon under a restaurant someplace that nobody knew about, you hear those stories. In Chapel Hill, I'm told that under a restaurant somewhere, there's a prayer hole that people have been meeting in for decades. What God can do with people like that, oh man where no one else gets to see. I mean, it'll be great. But there wasn't really a story like that. John and Carol had given their days to the Lord, their mornings to the Lord, but he just just blew all of our minds. Nobody knew what the heck was going on. After I had been saved a year, you know, it was the next New Year's Eve, I had my first encounter with the sloppy, what was that presence of God. I'd met his love, I'd met his person, I'd fallen in love with him, I'd had moments where his power came on me at a fresh wind conference, all I could say for three hours was, ho! But I was up and walking around and saying ho to people. And, um, and everyone I saw who was just like, oh, Jake's finally getting it, all right! You know, they were all excited that uh, God was, was doing something. But it was a f- clean year, literally to the day, before I met the river in an intoxicating, what the heck is going on sort of a way. I was working in a cafe at the church at the time. I'd graduated high school and I'd had a clean year under my belt of, a, of believing God, coming to youth meetings, going to small group, even headed out on a little like weekend missions trip. So, so God had really used that year to grow me up and to fully mature me. And now I really knew what was going on. <laughs> 20 years old now, working in the cafeteria And it was New Year's Eve, so I thought, this will be nice. Instead of going to some party with all my worldly friends, I'll stay here at church. This will be good. And during the meeting, it was time to testify. And I went up there to say, yay, God. He's really done a work in my heart. John and Carol Arnett are interviewing me. Jake, what has the Lord done for you? Doing the whole thing. And I say, oh, Carol, it's so exciting. I got saved here a year ago. I got born again in this church. And now I'm even working in the cafeteria making the food y'all had for dinner. Chirp, chirp. And, um, and I made this outrageous claim. And what's so exciting is this will be the second New Year's Eve in a row where I'm not out getting drunk. That's right, I'm going to be sober and not drunk this New Year's Eve. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And Carol looks at John and goes, well, what do you think, hon? And he goes, oh, Carol, I think God might have something really special in mind for Jake. (laughs) And I didn't know what she was referring to, and I didn't know what he was getting at. So I'm sort of confused, and so I 
I sense something back here and I turn around and a person has materialized behind me, hands out like this. And his name was Hamish and he was the mail guy. He, I knew him because he came by for lunch five days a week and he worked in the, in the mail room. His job was to stuff envelopes with the spread the fire magazine and good dude, average guy. I liked him. Well, he's standing behind me and I'm looking to him for support. Like, I don't know what they're getting at and he's not really giving me much. He's just like, Okay, I turn back this way to look at Carol, a bit confused, and she's holding her hand out to me like she's holding a bottle of something, and I have almost enough time to say, I don't know what's going on here, and I don't know what you're talking about, but what gets out is, I'm not, mm. down I go, Hamish catches me, I can't see straight, I can't speak, there's a thousand pounds on my chest, I feel like there's a yak on my chest, borrow a Johnny Carson joke, and um, I mean, I'm shaking, shouting, can't really control my limbs. I had never encountered that level of God's presence, that depth of his river flowing through me, rising up in me, coming out of me. It was crazy. And this Hamish guy kept going, double it, double it, double it, double it. I think that's the only prayer he knew. Double it, double it. Double that. And... um. And every time you would do that, there's just electricity firing in every bone of my body. It was crazy. And uh, suffice it to say, after about 20 minutes, I decided, okay, this is enough. They're trying to move on with their meeting. They had already moved on. In those days, decently and in order looked very different. And um, bodies everywhere was Holy Spirit's version of order. And that's what happened. And we were comfortable with it. So I'm on the floor and I'm thinking, I'll get up now. And God laughs at the plans of men. <laughs> I couldn't get up. I couldn't control my limbs. Um, God was doing something else with me. I'll tell you what, I'm not 100% sure a single thing that happened in that meeting. I don't know what message was preached. I don't think the worship music was especially as sophisticated and of a high caliber as we had today. I just want you to know, 10 years of Catch the Fire Raleigh, the worship is easier and easier to enter into. And that's not to say that it's all about talent or technique or sound. But when you have laid down hearts coupled with incredible talent and devotion, it just makes it easier for the congregation to enter into something good. So I want to commend you guys who are growing in that. You're doing a wonderful job. But New Year's Eve, one year on, I had the boongooing of a lifetime. And uh, the fun thing is I get more of that all the time, and it's really fun. As recently as this morning in, uh, in our prayer meeting. Some folks were like, I guess we better help you up. And I just looked at them and said, oh, you better come back. God wasn't done. There was another yak on my chest. <laughs> Today's message, we're going to talk about the river. We're going to talk about what happens to us as, it, as, it, as we move forward with God. We're going to talk about a few predictable seasons and how they're all good seasons, but it's something that you can expect to happen as you partner with God, as you surrender to him, as you let him lead you. There are some things that he leads believers through that you can see coming, uh, to a certain degree at least. And by knowing what's happening, it actually helps you partner with it. And uh, have you ever been confused by what the Lord is doing in you? Is it just me? Duncan's been confused once or twice. I'll tell you, the more you see God move... He doesn't get simpler. You understand his goodness better and better. You understand why he would move, but you don't always understand what's going on. But you get comfortable with that at least. Okay, I don't understand, but that's okay. <laughs> so we're going to talk primarily from Ezekiel 47, for those of you who like to skip ahead. Uh, and it's a, it's a powerful image of the river of God that starts at the altar, in the sanctuary. But when it flows out, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so what's available to you and what's available to me is more and more and more. I want to tell you, on day one, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, all of God is available to you immediately. He isn't waiting for you to be perfect. He's perfect enough for you. He is our great high priest of the order of Melchizedek. His sacrifice was once and for all of us. So we don't have to earn our way in. We don't have to sacrifice our way in. Now, when we have our altar experiences, the things that we're sacrificing isn't to please God or, or to earn his favor. If anything, it's just to unburden ourselves so that we can carry on with him even, even better. 
Still an altar, totally different. But I'm going to share just a few more quick stories that will help illuminate some of what God has done. I want to share the story of Harold. A few of us were invited to go to a church in Syracuse, University Christian Fellowship, not associated with the university. But we found, they told us that they felt they would draw more people if they associated themselves without associating themselves. So um, Jonathan Shunker and I and a few others were on a team of people running an immersion retreat, three nights and then the Sunday morning or something along those lines. And that church was wild. It was pretty raw. Um, But as is also common with raw churches, thank you very much, sweetheart. You're amazing. There's a lot of lights on my face right now. And... um, I was uncomfortable with how raw their church was. It, it, their worship times, they were just like, yeah, and everything you said, their agreement wasn't, yes, it was, come on, you gotta do it, come on, let's do that. And so, woe to the preacher who sets the point up by sharing the negative point first and then gets to the, but we're not gonna do that, are we? We're this way, because they will say yes to anything. They were so hungry and just so raw, you know? And um, some of you know what I'm talking about. This church was crazy. And I was from Toronto. I knew crazy, and this wasn't the same kind of crazy, and so I was totally in judgment of these people. And um, thank you very much for this. Uh, Standing up here, I understand the white towel over the shoulder a little more. So Harold was along on the immersion retreat, and Harold was not happy. I don't just mean not happy with us. I mean in general. He was not happy. He was a grumpy guy. For the first two nights of the immersion retreat... He just sat in the back, arms crossed, scowling, looking down. And eventually, I got to talking with him, and it was the message on forgiveness. I think you gave that message, and then I went to talk to him, and I said, do you want to pray? He's like, oh, God can forgive anybody, and I can forgive anybody else. That's fine, but I can never forgive myself. I've hurt my kids. I could never forgive myself. And he believed that. That was his reality. He believed my current level of guilt and shame is appropriate and correct, and I should carry this. That was his world, and uh, it was manifesting in his life. On the last and greatest day of the immersion retreat, uh, Jonathan and I went back over to him, and we just said, Hey, Harold, you know, I get that you can't forgive yourself, but do you think Jesus can help you with that? Oh, I don't know, I suppose. Would you mind if we pray for you? Okay. He gets up and he's there. And John, I don't know if you or me, someone laid a hand on his shoulder. And before we could say a word, bam, down goes Harold. Chairs go flying. And uh, he laid down there for a long time. Like we moved on. Okay. Wow. That was dramatic. Praying for other people, doing other immersion retreaty things. And eventually we see him start to stir a little bit. And so we go back and check in on him. And a different person got up off of the floor. You know someone has encountered God when all of the hurt is gone and there's peace in its place. When all of the internal shame and struggle, you can tell something happened in this person's heart and he's just, God has just settled it. We didn't say a thing when we prayed for him. There was, nothing was required. Holy Spirit just took over, took care of it. The river flowed through us, out of us, into him, and then just took it from there. And that's the kingdom of God. Yeah. Uh, Our prayers are getting shorter and shorter. I just got to counsel a new member of our church who asked if they could serve on the ministry team. I said, yes, you can. You've been through this training and that training, and that's fine. But I will say this. Less is more. Just be there. Release the kingdom. If you find you have to say a lot of stuff, it's possible that that might just be you drumming it up. Consider just letting Holy Spirit move. Take your time. Take a breath. See what God wants to do first. And our prayers are getting shorter and shorter. (laughs) Harold got up off the floor and he could only, for the first little bit, he could only say one thing. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know he loved me that much. He was a different person after that. I'm going to bring my kids back tomorrow and they need to meet you guys. This is awesome. And he did. He brought his kids to church the Sunday morning and we met them and they were kind of They didn't know what was going on, but they had a different dad and can only imagine the fruit 
that came out of that man's life and in his relationship with his kids, having let go of that hurt and having moved forward in the Lord free of that stuff. And I want to share a story about something that the Lord's done for us in Greensboro. You know, we, we did arrive there with one dollar. Uh, that's true. We knew exactly one person. Uh, we were going to plan to catch the fire church, and we knew one person. Uh, and we lovingly, affectionately refer to Tessia as our cloud the size of a man's fist. <laughs> is that a church? No, but there's a church coming. And we know there is because of this cloud the size of a man's fist. If you don't know the story I'm referring to, that's fine, but you could maybe read your Bible more. Um, so we, <laughs> we had, immer- we had um, warm-up meetings, you know, where Brian Houston would come and just shred his guitar. And people would, oh, there's a Catch the Fire Church coming to Greensboro. We'll check that out. And the level of commitment required to come to a warm-up meeting was, it's, yeah, come check it out. That's the perfect attitude to have. And from there, we began to meet people, make friends, build a team. And, um, and now we're having Sunday meetings, and the Lord is adding to our church all the time. I think in the last, the first two years of Sunday meetings, we had the same, like, 35, 40 people. And then God, in his wisdom, moved a few of those people on. There are folks who would love to plant a church but they're not always the same people who would love to then grow one with you. And that's not a deficiency. That's, a, just, that's the reality of their calling and their preferences. And, but then at the same time, God's brought new people along that, are, that would have been the last people you would have planted a church with. But they're great at entering into an existing thing. And so God is very wise and, and he knows what he's doing. Lisa was one of the people who came to us like that. And Lisa, one day in one of our meetings, was wearing this little meter on her shirt cuff here, and we didn't know what that was, and we asked her, and she said, oh, that's, that's checking my heart. i got to wear it for a week. It's attached to my such and such, and it's checking for heart murmurs, and it's going to report to the doctor. And we said, oh, what's up with your heart? I said, oh, well, when I was in the womb, my mother tried to abort me, and it uh, didn't work, and I was carried full term anyway, but I had a heart deficiency as a result of what they tried to do. And, and um, now... For 50 years, she was 50 years old at the time. Now I have heart murmurs and I have low blood pressure and I'm supposed to be pumping 75% of my blood each pump, but I'm only getting about 25%. Wow. It's, that's bad. Like if that's the kind of like, oh, you will slowly suffocate kind of numbers. And I was deeply unsatisfied by her condition. I said, oh, this isn't good. So in our meeting, we gathered around, people laid hands on her and, and from across the room, I prayed for her as well. And, and in that moment, I just felt something in the Holy Spirit, just this unsettled, like, this is not right. And I went, ah! And across the room, she goes, ooh! And I felt something go out. Sometimes in God, you lay hands and you don't feel anything, but then the person goes flying, you're like, okay, God did it. But then there are also times when you absolutely feel something happen, and you feel something change. She felt something, too. She goes to her doctor's appointment the next day, and they check her meter, and are very confused and, and alarmed, actually. Apparently, you didn't have this hooked up right because it was supposed to check your murmur, and it's not telling us that there's a murmur, so we need to hook you up to an echocardiogram immediately. And they hooked her up, and they couldn't find a murmur live in real time. And then it's like, well, well we need to do an MRI of your heart, and we need to see into this thing and what's going on here. The thin walls and the issues that the flap's not closing... They couldn't find a single problem with her heart. She had a very healthy heart. And not only did God do that for her, but they couldn't find any of the scar tissue from the numerous surgeries she'd had. She was completely restored, an entirely new heart. Who? And we didn't know that we were going to meet her. We didn't know she would be in our living room. But I'm so glad that she was. I'm so glad that we did. The things that the Lord has done in our lives and in our hearts. For Carolyn and I, we are more settled now because we've said yes to God. We've had so many times to make tough choices about whether we would carry on in this way or that way. What's God, what are you saying? What are you doing? And every time we come to one of these sort of moments where we're trying to figure out what he's he's inviting us into, what we discover is there's a next level, there's a new place for us to let some things go, to surrender some things, 
and to the choice to go forward with God has almost exclusively always meant also the choice to let go of some things. Do you know what I'm talking about? Go to Greensboro. We don't know anyone in Greensboro. Even moving to Raleigh, what shall you do? Shall you continue cruising down the river on the cruise ship Toronto? Or will you go to this foreign city where you know nobody? <laughs> we've done that twice now. We've, twice we've gone to a city where we knew, well, in Greensboro, God took nine of our dollars away but gave us Tessia. So, <laughs> good deal. The journey that you're on with God is a journey of more and more and more of him. And also a journey of more and more and more surrender to him. So I want to share from Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me to the door of the house. The house being a sanctuary. In this case, if you go back a bit, you see that. And behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east. For the house faced east. And the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. If you go to 46, you see that there's water coming from the altar itself. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits and led me to the water, water reaching my ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the waist. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not ford. For the water had risen, enough water to swim in, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region, go down into the Arabah, and then they go to the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh." It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place, wherever the river goes, will live. And there will be very many fish, for these waters go there and the other waters become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Engalame. There will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. Its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. By the river on its banks on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because, of the, because the water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Thus endeth the reading. There are some important stages we can pull out of this story. I call them the stages of surrender. One of them is actually called surrender. Stage one is encounter. The second stage is surrender. Then there's a stage called calling and even a stage called abiding. When we're at the altar, that is a place of encounter. We're encountering God. We're encountering his presence. We're encountering a specific invitation from him. Come. And as we come in, everything we've got comes in with us, and we encounter God in that place. If that encounter is coupled with surrender, something powerful happens. Have you ever had an encounter with God and then found yourself making some outrageous claim? Maybe you were at a conference, maybe someone prayed for you, maybe you were driving in your car and his presence just landed in your car. But then in his presence, face to face with his goodness, you just found yourself saying something crazy like, Oh God, anything you want to do, wherever you want to send me, I'll go. Anything you want, Lord, I'll do it. Have you ever found yourself in that moment? Like That's like, I think, the most normal response to meeting God is, Oh, well, if you are, wow, okay, great. What are we doing? I'm in. And one of the most incredible things about God is his ability. When we say, my life is yours, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. God believes you. And he takes you at your word. And he receives that prayer seriously. And he knows that you can't live up to it. He's not fooled. He knows that we're not that great. But he's also very much aware of his power to keep you. 
and his power to, to transform you if you'll allow it. And so a journey begins of, of flowing with the river, of going along with God. Where's your love sending me? Where will I find you next? Where's my next place of encounter? I'm going. Let's do it. The next place that Ezekiel is brought to, the water of the river that was a trickle coming out of the house, has now somehow become ankle deep. It's a miraculous flow going on here. Now, it's the water that flows from the sanctuary. It's the water that flows from the altar. So you don't leave that place of encounter to go somewhere else. There was a time when Baptist missionaries would have a powerful encounter with God and from that place would go. And that, that encounter was enough to send them. But they didn't expect to continue to have those encounters. God has revealed that that's very, very much possible for us. That what he does at the altar, we can carry it with us. Now, they carried it in their hearts. I'm not trying to come at Baptists here, but I'm just saying that there were, in the 1900s, there were missionaries who would go on the back of one encounter and never have another one. But that was enough. It would be enough for us too, but God has more for us. We get to carry that with us into the river. An ankle-deep river is kind of nice. Stick your toes in. All you got to do is kick your shoes off and you're good to go. In go your feet. The water's licking over your feet. It's refreshing. It's cooling. And in that place, it's a little bit like me, a year on with the Lord. I'm like, oh, I'm in. I'm in the river. Look at me. I'm in. There's some river on that side. There's some river on that side. This is me. I'm in the river. It feels great. And I thought that was everything. I didn't know it was knee deep. <laughs> so I'm like, this is great. And then folks would be like, Jake, you want to grow into the more? No, I'm good. I got it. This is it, right? What could be more than... I go to church, Holy Spirit blasts me, I go home. That's it. But time goes by, and we discover, we see more, we learn more, and we know, okay, God does have more for me. In my heart, I have a hunger for more. So, okay, where's the more? And God measures out a thousand cubits for you, and now you find yourself knee-deep. Knee-deep is different than ankle-deep. Ooh, I am in. This is real. There's mud squishing between my toes. The more I wriggle... The deeper I get. My kids have figured out that phenomenon at the beach. Ooh, look, Dad, look, I'm burying myself. At knee deep, you can feel the power of that river pulling you. The river of God is powerful. And it will change you, and it will transform you. It's powerful. He's, he's not a tame lion. I love that song. Knee deep is the place where you've got to kind of make some choices. Like, are we doing this? In the natural, it's the same way. If you go to the beach, if you like the beach like I do, you get knee deep. Someone's coming past you. And you go, oh, is that what you're doing? Splash. <laughs> in they go. Um, but at knee deep, God measures out another thousand cubits. Okay, I, I've been on a few missions trips. I, I went and took a new beginner's class, and I'm learning that there's more to God than I thought. But now he's got a thousand more cubits for me, and I'm, now I'm waist deep. For men especially, waist deep is a real commitment. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you're two-thirds of the way up the thigh, and you're like, well, we might as well do this. Bloom. <sighs> Waist deep in the river, you kind of got all your stuff, and you're holding it over your head. Oh, You're really experiencing some power now. The river is flowing. It's a place for me where I get to go meet Harold, and together with the team, we pray for him, and his life has changed forever. This power in saying yes to God and going farther with him. There aren't levels this way, but there are places farther down the road you can go with him. God will continue to show himself stronger and stronger and stronger for you. The more you're able to surrender and let go, the more you're able to trust him. Waist deep, man, one wrong step, the rock you're standing on just shifts a little and you're in, you know. Waist, waist deep is that sort of, oh, are we doing this? We're crossing a threshold here, Lord. The good news is you've got a track record of, all right, God was faithful there, and he was faithful there, and I'm still having encounters with him. He's showing me how good he is, and I hear all these testimonies of how he takes care of us, so this is good. And then he measures out a thousand more cubits. And now you're faced with, I don't think my head will still be up if I go in that water. I'll be all the way under. You ever been down to your last scrap of yourself? Okay, God, this is all I have left. And it's not much, but it's the one thing I still hold on to that kind of identifies me as me 
And you're asking me for that too? So we sacrifice literally the last of our resistance. And we find ourselves over our heads. Oh, we love to sing the song. But it's actually a reality in God. That he's inviting us to a place where there's just none of you left that isn't completely immersed in him. Every opportunity to let go of more things is also an opportunity into deeper things in God. Where we let go of more, he fills us with more. When we let go of our uh, leaning on the world's understanding, we gain the mind of Christ and we gain new understanding about how to live. When we let go of hurts that have held us back, we enter into new freedom that we couldn't even picture when we were still holding on to the hurts. From the place of the depths where it's too deep to cross, from that place, the Lord sends us out to where the river of life, the river that he's moving through you and in you and dragging you that way, and it's exciting. Eventually, there's a place in that where the, the fresh water meets the salt, and it's teeming with life. All the fish who are just dying for something real just come flooding into that. So if you're tracking with me, I'm talking about, I'm just going along with God, I'm, I'm trusting him. It's kind of just me and him. But where the heck did all these people come from? Why are all of a sudden all these people coming to me? I'm not even a leader in this church. I haven't been to the XYZ class. But I'm praying for people out in the lobby because I've given up that stuff that they're still struggling with. I've got victory in this area that they need it. And you climb up out of the river. What? Climb out of the river? Why would you do that? Well, so you can fish. Suddenly your life becomes not just about you and God, but now it's you and God and all the people that God is sending to you. When you make the choice that what God is doing in you isn't even just for you anymore, oh, he gets crazy for that. He loves it. Because that's what he's like. The relationship, the community, the love that God had perfectly before any of you existed, before I existed, he dreamt up what it would be like to pour that love out on you, and he couldn't stop himself. He had to set you in motion because he wanted to give you the chance to know what it means to be that loved. And as you partner with him and actually behave and learn his ways and behave the way he would have behaved, giving it away, he just has more and more and more for you. So that's the season of calling. The surrender is getting in the water where it's too deep, but calling is, all right, Lord, this is the spot. How would I go? Didn't go the nets. That's a tough spot, actually. It's tough because it's so different. I was just splish splashing along and I thought that was everything. And it was great and I loved it. And now I have to stay here with these people and serve them. <laughs> I think in the four years that we've lived in Greensboro, the three years that we've had meetings, I have beat up the roof of my car probably four or five times. What are we doing here? Punching the roof. Because I was just happily cruising along with God and then he planted me somewhere. See, if you fish on the banks for long enough, something happens to you. You really do sink in. Your boots dissolve and roots start to grow. And those roots go down into the mud and find their way into the river to drink from the river directly. See, there's a difference between being in the river and the river being in you. And if you'll hear it, and if you're willing to put your choice behind it, if you'll surrender your rights to go splish-splashing with God and instead you'll be planted by the river, he'll turn you into an incredible tree. What are the promises in here? The fruit just keeps growing. It doesn't fail. But that fruit is for others. Their leaves are for healing. Oh, that's amazing. Who's healing? Others. That's what God can do with a life that is truly surrendered to him. You can become an oak of righteousness planted by the river whose leaves don't fail. Would you like your life to be food for the nations? It could be that you're in need of that first encounter. Maybe you're like Harold. Maybe you're just saying, you know, I'm not even sure I've ever really... Thank you, Lord, for these napkins or tissues. You could be like Harold. I think I'm kind of at that point where I just need an encounter. That's where I'm at. That's fine. That's great, in fact. You carry that with you into the rest of your life. If you need to encounter God 
and start the process of surrendering some things. Well, today's your day. I have exciting news for you. God will meet you in that place. And the path that he'll put you on will be so exciting. There will be challenges, but he'll be with you in them. That was his word to us when we said, how can we go plant a church in Greensboro when we don't know anyone? And he said, I'll be with you. And we had reached a point where that was enough. Okay. That's terrifying, but let's go. (laughs) Maybe you're feeling ankle deep. Jake, I I get splashed every time I come to church. And isn't that it? That's everything, right? No, there's more too. There's more for you. If you're a knee-deep person, I serve on Sundays. That gets me through. I go to a small group on Wednesdays. Tops me up. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. That's wonderful. But there may be another thousand cubits for you too. Maybe God's inviting you to see what waist deep feels like. That doesn't mean necessarily taking the next class, serving in church. It means surrendering to God again. The good news is growing up with the Lord is the class you never graduate from. So beware of the person who's got it all figured out. My pastor, Duncan Smith, taught me, Jake, watch out for people who don't have a limp. And he told me, they've got one. They've just become experts at hiding it. And then you might get a little ways down the road before you ever get to see where it is. That's fine, too. Every moment is another moment. You can turn it all around. You can say yes to God again and surrender again. Maybe you're waist deep and you actually can really identify with what that's like. Lord, if I go another, if you, if, ooh, that's the, it's the, it's the crossing over point there. More of you and what you want to do in me and it's less of what I was thinking about doing. Oh boy, the first decade probably of my life with God was all about me. God, you're blessing me. You're touching me. You're growing me. Hooray for me. God is completely fine with that because he understands the journey that we're on and he knows that that's a great stage to be at for now because it'll lead you and it has. Now all I want to do is give it all away to other people. And then God can at any moment if you want want him to take you on another lap. Great. Have another encounter. Have some more surrender. See what ankle deep in this looks like and you grow up in some new things. It never ends. It's wonderful. Life with God doesn't get boring because there's always more. So I want to make an invitation to you today. I don't know you. We're family. But I'm not sure where you're at. But some of you, the Holy Spirit, will already have been telling you, here's something that would be great for you to surrender. Here's the struggle that you've been wrestling with, that if you would just let this go, if you'll just give it to me, let me Sweep you down another thousand cubits. We'll go have some fun down there. So if you're ready to do that, whatever stage you're at, you might feel ankle deep, waist deep, knee deep. You may be over your head already and just loving it. Wherever you're at, I want to invite you to come present yourself to the Lord and surrender all over again. To make yourself available to him and to what he's bringing you into next. Hey. The adventure that he'll put you on. If this is, maybe you're one of these folks who just, it's, it, it all starts today. Well, that's great. <laughs> Praise the Lord that he'll have put you in a family like this one where you can be supported as you grow. But across the board, every one of us has, has new things we can enter into with God. The more we surrender, the more he gets to fill us. And the less we hold on to, the more we trust him, the more his Abundant life begins to run through us. Jesus said, from the depths of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will put a dream in each of our hearts. Whoa! Of what the, of what the next step of the journey looks like. And what it'll look like to one day pour our roots down into the mud and be planted by you. A planting of the Lord. Wow! So that it won't just... Nothing wrong with this, but it won't just be us splish splashing in you, but it'll be your river, like you said, roaring out of us. Is that what you want? That's what I want. And again, it's the, it's the class you never graduate from. There's always more. So in the spirit right now, reach out into his supernatural kingdom. Reach out in your hearts and present yourself to the Lord again. 
Lord, I've known you. I've experienced you. I love you. But I'm bearing myself open wide to you again today. I open up the gates of my life, of my heart, that the King of glory would come in. And I want to invite anyone who's here who's been through ministry team training to come and lay a gentle catch-the-fire hand on someone's shoulder or just bless what God is doing. Anoint people, lay hands on them and, and, and agree with them that they're coming into God's more. Hey, we prayed it over and over and over ourselves in Toronto and we didn't always necessarily know what he would do with it but it was always the cry of our heart and it continues to be the cry of my heart. God, I want more of you. I want everything you've got. I don't want to miss a thing. And in him, we don't. In him, we get it all. Fill us up, Holy Spirit. Thicken your presence in us right now. Wow. And begin to release your kingdom into our hearts and into our lives. I pray most of all for those of you who are seeing that it's time for you to begin to fish that you'll catch those people and present them to the altar for their moment of encounter. I pray for you that God would give you a passion and a fire in in your very bones for people. There are some unloved people in your life who need to know and God will release it through you. Your leaves will be for their healing. Your fruit will be for their food, amen. Receive it right now in the name of Jesus. So we anoint, I anoint you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit to experience all that he has, all the new depths. Let it all go. of this world being washed off of you. How will it work? He says to you, I will be with you. Jesus, you are becoming and you have become our exceedingly great reward. You are the one that we want. At the end, God, you are are both the destination that we're heading towards and you are every step of the way. He is the journey and the journey's end. So I thank you, Lord, for hearts that you're transforming today, hearts that you're drawing. Draw us into your next place of surrender. Whoa! In your next place of encounter. Fill us up, Holy Spirit, in the mighty name of Jesus.